Okay, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, and for the hour today, we have Trudeau's hair. What happened? Who knew what when? <laughs> have you seen that hair, Adam? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, stay home for a couple of days, and the dominant news story is the Prime Minister's hair. I'm like, I'm just going to throw this laptop in the lake uh yeah it's uh i mean i don't know what's worse just the general discourse about it or the fact that it's it's a sign there's a snap election coming (laughs) he got his he got his playoff haircut or whatever people is people are going on about yeah that's if he starts uh, growing a beard i would say yeah maybe but um spent approximately one minute too long on the story (laughs) yes we have (laughs) open sources is cfru's political and current affairs discussion show and you can find us here every thursday at 5 p.m as we talk about the latest news items from guelph ontario canada and around the world and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians which this week will be guelph mayor cam guthrie who will talk to us about some of the issues in this last term of city council but especially the social issues that were heavily debated at this past week's meeting that's going to be at the bottom of the hour before that we will talk about a few news items from the last week including housing it's not just a guelph issue but a canada wide one but does anyone really know what to do about it but first uh the pope is coming um he arrives on the 21st uh so next week or is it uh tomorrow or today whenever we're, we're or it's the 24th let's start again the show from again from scratch because i seem to be confused but no the pope is coming any minute now the pope any, will be here yeah. any any minute it's uh i think i hear the pope mobile in the distance <laughs> but it's uh <laughs> a thunder that's coming yeah 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 yeah, yeah. but he, he is coming uh he will be dropping by to <laughs> dropping by uh to get further acquainted with the issues facing uh indigenous people here in canada especially around the residential schools issue he is arriving on the 24th i literally looked that up on papalvisit.ca that's an interesting site i did a little <laughs> bit of homework on there just to see what the heck was going on with this it's got all your pope visit news anyway he is coming on sunday he'll be stopping in edmonton where he'll be meeting with indigenous groups and uh, he will also be holding a, a mass at the commonwealth stadium uh, he then flies to Quebec City, and then he flies to uh, Iqaluit to have uh, further meetings. Some of these are private meetings. Some of these are public meetings. But it all seems to be leading up to he is going to formally apologize, uh, which he, he did do, do in April following a visit from Indigenous leaders. But uh, it will be all the more meaningful having it done here on Canadian soil. The question is, what happens when we finally get this long-awaited apology from the Pope, which was number 58 on the list of calls to action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and has sort of long been, uh, I guess, uh, hey, we can't even get an apology for the Pope. So, you know, how are we solving all these issues? It's kind of been a crutch. So what happens when that crutch goes away and, and Pope Francis delivers on recommendation 58? Yeah, they can tick that box off and then file it, I suppose. But that's, I mean, they really, they've already had the apology, but the the intention was to have the apology on uh, 
Canadian soil. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what's happening to the tune of uh, if I, the numbers were a bit mixed that I saw, it looks like John Paul's back in the eighties was 50 million. This one's going to be a mere $35 million. So this is coming from an organization that's having trouble raising the $25 million uh, to put towards the um, lawsuit that it was settled a few years ago. Mm-hmm. It's being paid out mostly by the government, but they can't even cough, you know, those peanuts up comparatively. So it's been some comment on that. It's, I think the, the reaction in the uh, indigenous community is mixed to this. Mm-hmm. There are some people saying this has to happen and understandably. So uh, interestingly, Phil Fontaine, I think it was on C, it must've been on CBC. I just heard it in passing, uh, made a really good comment. He, he was, he's a residential school survivor, former uh, head of the assembly first nations at one point, And uh he said that the apology isn't the end of what's going on, but it's the beginning. So mm-hmm. it's the start of something. It's, it is the end of one thing. It's, but it's obviously not the complete end of the chapter because as we know, there's still, well, there's, there are still um, abusers out there. Mm-hmm. For one thing, there are still graves to be found at residential schools. And that is ongoing. And that number keeps increasing, even though we don't really hear about it anymore after that initial Kamloops Sukwepnik um, uh, report, right? Or that lasted for a bit and then it just sort of gets sidelined. It'll probably all come back to the fore uh, when the Pope comes. But he does seem to be leaning a bit hard on the, uh, I don't even know how to put this or even delicately or otherwise, the the um, the Catholic aspects of the visit. Like you have to have two or three large masses when you come. Can you not just concentrate on this issue? <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know this the plains of Abraham or something. It sounds like in in uh, two different reports in two of the places, um, the roadworks that needed to happen have happened, and they're only happening because the Pope is here. Mm-hmm. So you can say, okay, great, the Pope came, we got our road done. But I mean, that's I mean that just to me adds to the grand total of of money that probably could be directed elsewhere to do uh, work. But. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I think part of it is to, I don't think there's been a papal visit in 20 years. I think that's part of it. It's like, it's, it's to, to that, like we're visiting, we're visiting the Catholics abroad, but you know, it's, it's at the center of this, there's this very important thing we have to do as well. And it does feel like ticking a box because the, you know, the, the truth and reconciliation commission said, it, you know, they wanted that that papal apology inside of a year. Well, that report was published in 2015. This is mm. 2022. And I, I, it doesn't get to the heart of, and I've, I read, there was a, an article on CBC kids that talked to indigenous young people about what they thought about the papal visit. And, and some of the comments were pretty insightful. And, you know, one, per, one young person said, well, it's nice that he's apologizing, but that kind of means nothing unless they're going to, you know, uh, take all the indigenous stuff they ripped off and returned that Mm, some of it some of it is pretty precious and some of it is like on display carefully curated at the vatican museum uh like the vatican still says oh these were gifts it's like well yeah it's easy to give somebody a gift and they got a gun pointed in your face telling you Mm -hmm. to give it up um you know there's also stuff like the you know they want the pope to renounce the the doctrine of discovery from uh 1493 that you know, uh, too long didn't read version is that North America and the the rest of the the Western Hemisphere is a land of milk and honey for our taking because definitely no one important 
lives here. And uh, we know that's not true. Uh, lives were ruined forever <laughs> after, mm-hmm. after that was published. Uh, so, you know, there, there are a lot of questions like, well, how deep, how deep does your commitment to um, overcoming this evil, which is something Pro Francis said, that what happened at residential schools is evil. And, and a lot of that, too, is, as you said, it's like the money behind this. And one of the other young people interviewed for that piece said, well, you know, I, I don't want a check from the Catholic Church. What I want is them to put actual investment in reclaiming the things they tried to get rid of and in some cases succeeded, things like indigenous culture, indigenous languages, um, indigenous traditions. How can we reclaim those? Um, and a lot of that is like oral traditions. And so you have to you know, find older generation people um, who remember the traditions and, and record that. Um, and that's I mean, that's a heck of a lot more work than just writing a check and, you know, going to the Vatican Bank, which is a real thing. So um, there, there is a tr- there, there is a question of like real commitment. It, it's like I don't I don't question the Pope's sincerity. Indeed, this is this whole thing is called and this is the first time I've ever heard this term the a penitential pilgrimage. <laughs> so it's yeah. in the name that this is the this pilgrimage. The point of this pilgrimage is penance. Um but, you know, as, as we say, you know, with a lot of these issues, saying sorry is easy, actually acting like you're sorry is surprisingly or perhaps not so surprisingly hard. Well, this got me to thinking of a related story that involves Guelph. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily, it, well, it's not directly tied to Indigenous people, but a bit of a sidebar about that Father Boudreaux. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to remember his name, who was um, a priest in Guelph, had traveled around was convicted of abusing two people here mm-hmm. and we're overseen in guelph here by the catholic diocese of hamilton mm-hmm. and they had said to him and this isn't that long ago <laughs> that uh, you know you can get your full pension if you resign mm-hmm. quietly and just admit what you did which he did and he got his full pension he did end up going to jail and he ended up dead now penitential to me would mean that you hunt down and find these people that are still alive mm-hmm. that were able to escape justice and give them the form of justice that, well, I mean, it has to be an indigenous form of justice because that's, you know, it's like Phil Fontaine is amazingly um, forgiving. Mm. There, there, he, there doesn't, he didn't sound vengeful. And, and, that, and that's, you know, the approach that needs to be taken is the approach that the indigenous people of the, you know, colonial nation that we call Canada needs to take. Right. So it doesn't, mm. it doesn't mean, you know, hunt them down. It's not like, you know, chase after them. And, but I mean, if they can still convict, uh, you know, an old Nazi after whatever that was, he's a hundred years old or something. Mm-hmm. Why can't these people be brought to some kind of justice, either restorative or otherwise, that doesn't even seem to be touched on. It's just like, okay, I'm sorry. Pope's going to go around and say, he's sorry. Then he'll go back to the Vatican or wherever he's going. And uh, that you just, you just leave that hanging. That's, that's, that's just not right. Yeah, and I mean, this is something that the, the the church has been struggling with on a myriad of issues, whether it's, you know, uh, children abuse, whether it's, you know, abuse of, of nuns, um, whether it's, you know, uh, residential schools. I mean, look how long it took to just get the Pope to come and say the words, I'm sorry. Um, and granted, the church as an institution is one that does not think in like short, immediate term. 
um, it, you know, it, it's it, when you when you've been around for two thousand years, uh, you stop thinking by the minute, um, institutionally speaking. But I mean, that's that's not. I mean, it's another reason why they they're kind of out of step with the modern world. It's because the, the modern world is very reactive, and I mean, and, and in some regards, that's not a great quality. But in in this regards, you know, we're talking about. 500 years of systemic abuse up and down this continent, a lot of it, you know, uh, directed by the Catholic Church, you know, kings and queens come and go. But, you know, when you are Pope, you are speaking on behalf of God and God is forever. And that's, that's something that has to be reckoned with. Um, and, and again, all that stuff, like the kids, I mean, the kids, you know, kind of leading the way again on this, you know, like having all that indigenous stuff behind glass in Italy, where it means nothing to um, the people in the Vatican, but means everything to indigenous communities, like sacred artifacts, rare artifacts. There was like a, I saw a picture of a, a, a canoe or, or some kind of boat where it's like, um, it, it's so unique. It's like one of five left in the world, but, and one of them is in the Vatican. But of course, I mean, if, if we're going to start talking about the Vatican returning stuff, uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lineup around the block of countries and cultural groups that are going to want their stuff back too, which is, I think, another thing that the Catholic Church has in the back of its mind that, and I, and I don't say this lightly, because I'm sure we probably have some Catholic listeners, but the Catholic Church has been responsible for a lot of evil in the world in terms of um, done things done to certain groups and um, you know, kind of once you start that process of unwinding it, the question is, uh, do you have anything left once you have unwound all that? And I think that's a very much a, a real concern to the church as well. Yeah. And the Catholics, I, I know would, would agree with everything you've just said, mm. um, but they're more, one describes himself as a cultural Catholic. It's like, I've, I've inherited this thing down my family line, but I don't subscribe to any of it, but yet, you know, you're, you're still, Catholic, right? You can't you can't undo that uh, part of it. But yeah, like it's like you're saying with the artifacts. Now we're seeing it with things like the Elgin, so-called Elgin marbles, and things that have been stolen from other countries. Um, but in this case too, there's like people's ancestors' bones in boxes. Right? Mm, mm-hmm. so it's, it, it's it's not just beyond objects. It's like sacred things, including people, right? Mm-hmm. So they definitely have to. I mean, they will. <laughs> I don't know how you prove some of these gifts or not because they when the when the um, the the Pope met with Indigenous people whenever that was earlier this year the um, they did give him gifts that's that's tradition right but sure yeah so it'll be diff- it, you know it's one of those things kind of difficult to prove but yeah is it is it about the money and is it about sort of maintain the, that website that you were talking about was saying oh yeah you know he um, 1.2 billion Catholics in the world, blah, blah, blah. It's like, um, okay. So it's like, are you doing your penitential pastoral thing to them? <laughs> or is this for the people that have been wronged? Right. And that's, mm. that's what I'm having trouble computing with, with this whole thing. It's like, do you need to have these giant shindigs? Now, one of them is that the, what is it called again? The, 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 it's church of the first peoples, you know, sacred heart. No first peoples church in Winnipeg, something like mm-hmm. that. So it's like, there's an indigenous tie in, but he's still, and St. Anne in Quebec, which was a standard stop for school tours. It probably doesn't happen anymore. Um, I wasn't even at a Catholic school, but when we went to St. Anne, it's a big deal in Quebec. So he's going there. So he's going to very specific places. 
Um, I guess up in Akawit, it'll be a little bit different mm-hmm. um, in that they don't have the, you know, these giant structures that are so, you know, typical of Catholic church. Um, but they're also buzzing a lot of people into the events that that was a new, that was a one news piece I saw today that they're, they're, they're filling entire buses with people who are going to these events to, to see the Pope in, in the flesh. And it was like, do not buy tickets from online resellers because they're probably fake. And yeah, yeah. I'm sure there'll be some of that too. Like any, like any concert these days, right? There'll be like, who's the Pope's <laughs> opener? We don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Uh, but speaking of openings, uh, there aren't that many of them. If you want to buy a house these days, oh, yeah. how's, how's that for a segue? Um, so, I mean, we're, we'll talk to the mayor about this in, in a couple of minutes, but uh, this is a Canada-wide issue. You have mayors practically begging for the province and the, the federal government to do something about housing at the same time. And we see this up the road in Kitchener. They are taking... Uh, the people who set up this whole housing encampment um, on regional property to court to, to get them evicted. Um, and the question is, well, where are these people going to go? Uh, there really isn't any place for them to go. Yes, there is a shelter system, but there are a lot of rules in the, in the shelter system too. And in the meantime, um, you know, people are getting fed up and, you know, we see that anger out in the community too. And yeah, it's, it, it's it's a tr- it, this is a, an incredibly tricky issue or an incredibly simple issue depending on on which way you want to take this is housing a human right yes well then it should be incredibly a simple issue to solve but um, there's a lot uh, there are a lot of different facets to this that can't be ignored either yeah and tons of humming and hawing I mean what what do the unhoused need they need houses mm-hmm. they need places to live now I think technically a tent qualifies as a house for a lot of people in the world. Is it a home? No, of course it isn't. Right. But the, yeah. And you, you had been following it, Adam. And of course it was in the, the paper and whatnot about what's, what's going on locally. And to me, I've said this before, how it it all, it tends, it's good that there's some initiative, but there always seems to be this buck passing that goes on and some of it rightly. So, I mean, most of the municipalities haven't recovered from the cuts that happened from the province. So, you know, it, it is all right to blame the province uh, because the players that are in charge of the province now, some of them were the same players that did the cutting back in the nineties. I think, you know, who I'm talking about, mm-hmm. including, uh, well, the son of one of them, but also then the, there's these <laughs> other, um, I don't know if you call them ancillary or whatever, somebody like Tim Hudak, who is now with the Ontario real estate association was a player back then when these cuts happened and people like Hudak and others will always come on and whine about the lack of supply. And they'll say, that's why we have this problem. It's not why we have this problem. It's because when you were a kid back in the Harris government, the cuts happened that have never, ever been restored to the level that they were before. And it's not just, housing it's it's odsp benefits it's all of that got slashed mm-hmm. the ford plan before the pandemic was to continue slashing in these areas it's slowed up a bit is it going to come back now we don't know but is anything going to be restored to the levels that it was before no so we're stuck mm-hmm. right there i'm saying we but I, I mean let's just say as a nation too because it isn't just guelph it isn't just ontario it's the whole i don't know if you've seen the um I guess it's at East Hastings in Vancouver. Is it a record too? Like the street is just full of people. Mm-hmm. 
it's like it's like all of these apocalyptic scenario films that you see it's like you know people say what's well, like a movie this is this is it coming true mm-hmm. tent cities in, in Kitchener and in guelph too right mm-hmm. tent, you know maybe maybe not to the degree of that one in Kitchener, the concentration but you know i i know where at least two or three are yeah uh, in town oh yeah and you know what do they just stay there do they wait until the development happens the um Penitentiary lands is another over in there. Um, you know, what's going to happen, right? It's just, well, we, we're, we're going to evict people. We're, we're just going to, you know, they, they need to go somewhere else. They should go on the shelter system. It's like, that's, that's not the fix. You just can't keep cycling through that. Right. And I mean, so much of this is you have the pressures of growth um, and, and people are extraordinarily gun shy if, you know, one day it's you have three houses on a street filled with two-story houses and then somebody says i'm going to build a five-story apartment building there and you know there, there's a certain culture shock to that i mean i i feel like it's incorrect to say it's it's not a supply it's not an issue of supply because there are certainly a supply issues um guelph is a community that has has always had a, like a heinously low vacancy rate so um uh, you know there is kind of an, an issue with availability at the same time it's not an issue of availability when the price of a house is starts at a million dollars. And I think what we're seeing happening now is we're, we're getting better at supportive housing. And we've seen like three projects go through the council process here in the last couple of years, and they've each been approved. But and I, I should say like one of them is currently before the OLT, but the other two met immediately with a kind of blowback that ended up going away over time. Once people sort of understood the project and it was explained to them, people sort of got it. And the, the, the criticism and the blowback went away. It's only, it was only the one case. Interestingly, uh, area of town where there are a lot of really very nice, old, big, uh, pricey houses. Um, it's <laughs> not to cast aspersions, of course, but um, we're doing, so we're doing better on the supportive housing stuff. Where I'm really concerned about where we're going to like, like the next big front on this issue is going to be, you have this market where you have to be a millionaire to play, or you at least be able to summon a million dollars from a bank in order to play. And then you have the people on the other end of the spectrum who are getting the help they need and are getting supportive housing. But what happens to the people who under conditions 20 years ago could have been able to afford a place yep. but now can't. Like they work 40 hours a week. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, a couple both working 40 hours a week, both good earners, like maybe in like the six figure, like combined salary. And, you know, you still can't afford a house. That's crazy. And, you know, I I hear the phrase missing middle shoved around a lot, but I mean, there are a lot of missing middles in this issue. And this is one of them. What do we do for all the people who could be able to afford a house if it's $500,000, but can't, play in a market when the price of a house is a million dollars. Not everybody has parents with a lot of equity locked into a house that they've owned for 40 years to, to be able to draw from that bank, which is what's, what seems to be driving uh, or, or seems to be the undercurrent for a lot of people who can buy those houses right now. Well, and that is a key. The market is the problem. Sure. Yeah. The real estate market is the problem and it's not even just hot market. I and mean, it's one of the things, the price of housing you know when they do when inflation is high, they'll always do the comparisons of what costs more. Housing is is fifty percent higher, and I would argue in some places it's it's even more. When you're talking about the million dollars, I mean it's not you know the unhoused is one thing, mm-hmm. but when you have 
so many people in precarious situations as we do now as an effect of the pandemic and everything else that's going on. Mm -hmm. The the wait list in Toronto for subsidized housing is something like 80,000 people. Mm -hmm. And if you're a single person, it takes 10 years. Now, I was trying to help somebody out here a little while ago who got on one of these lists. They waited seven years and they gave up after that and moved somewhere else, nowhere near here. And this, this, this was all pre-pandemic. So it's been squeezed. Um, things have been being squeezed for a long time ever since this rise in the market post um, 2008, right? So who can afford houses? Corporate can afford houses. Mm-hmm. Slumlords can afford houses that have more than one and are able to you know, maneuver the system and acquire housing as a commodity. And commodified housing is the problem. Mm-hmm. Right? And you know, Guelph is a is a is a microcosm of that. As we know, the rent's too damn high. You're never going to own a place. Inflation, um, employment is well. They're saying employment is low, but you know, if you take up three of the jobs, then that number goes down, right? But that's mm-hmm. not. Yeah, you, know, you use the example of 20 years ago. That was that was me, and I didn't have a, a particularly good job. Um, bought a dump. Like just, uh, timing was everything. It was luck. If I was in that situation now. Mm-hmm. There's no way I'd be buying a house. Probably wouldn't even live in Guelph. Like there is no quick fix to it, but the, the fix would be is to remove a certain amount of housing completely from the market. Yeah. Reestablish nonprofit housing, which is something we used to have reestablish cooperative housing, which is something we used to have and plans from, you know, all three levels, like a post-war level program, post-World War II, you still see some of these houses around town, where they were not only subsidized and the land was subsidized, you could build a house to start your family. Um, and you could do that all of that years ago after a world war, but somehow now you can't because the market says that you can't. Of course you can. You could do these things. And there is that, that but what is this plan? We never hear about it anymore. Um, there was that 10-year plan from the liberals. I can't remember. Was it in 2017? Mm-hmm. I'm digging deep here and it was so many billion dollars and we're going to create half a million spaces and blah, blah. Um, I'm sure they'll blame the pandemic for it not happening, but you never hear anything about it. This is a vague notion that there's a plan going on and there's going to be more housing, but well, it you was do, a matter you do. of increasing supply, then, you know, the, the, the condos up the street from me would have solved that. It hasn't solved anything. There's more people living in the ravine that you the do. people in the condos get to look down on, right? It hasn't solved anything. You do hear about it when they're talking about like something like the Grace Gardens project, which has federal money behind it. Um, which yeah, you again, can multiply that by twenty, though, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm not saying it's enough by no, any no, stretch no, of the yeah. imagination, but it is a good yeah. thing. But you know, we need there's more. We need the more. trick is, and we're going to see that this happen, especially when it comes to some of the big projects here in Guelph, like something like Claire Maltby, which you know, councils had to fight tooth and nail to get something like the approval of like making the community park. For, for Claire Maltby in and around the area of the Halls Pond Air uh, portion because, uh, you know, they have to seize that land from developers who bought, uh, like, the old golf course property and, 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 yep. and things like that with the expectation that this is going to be a huge uh, windfall for them once all the planning stuff is cleared. And, and part of their plan has nothing to do with uh, a community park. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, money is the big problem with this. The, the question now is how do you, after millions and millions and millions of do- dollars have been put into this system by private developers, how do you get that money out? Or how do you incentivize people getting out of the, the get rich quick scheme uh, through real estate? And that's going to be, that's going to be the, 
biggest hurdle to all of this. And it's, uh, you know, I hate to say it, the only kind of way to, I think the only way it stops now is if the bubble completely bursts. But I mean, and that would hurt, that would hurt a lot of people in the process as well. And um, so that's, that's something we we really aren't sure we want to happen either. (laughs) No, because that would, that would have a, you know, ripple effect through everybody, but Absolutely. I mean, the, the pals are back at Queens Park, so the, the there, there will be there will be no change there, really, in my opinion. Like, right. your friends are in. Uh, you don't you don't have to worry. Um, you know, MZOs can ram through pretty much everything for the buddies. Mm-hmm. So you know, and I'm that's not an exaggeration, and I'm not libeling myself by saying that. This is what happens. So the the system either has to collapse or or a parallel system is created that addresses these things as we used to do in this country for years and years and years and years and years ago to say that it can't be done is the most ridiculous statement, but it is also ridiculous to just kind of pass the buck too, to just blame Queens park and just blame that there's there, there are options. It's just that no one wants to examine them. Oh, it's the County's responsibility. Oh, it's so-and-so's responsibility. It's everyone's responsibility in my opinion. Well, the first part of the show is collapsing, so we have to move on to the second part. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and come back with Mayor Cam. You are listening to Open Sources here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Cat Records pick of the week, Royal Cat Records, 21 McDonnell in the downtown. And that was Daka Braca from their album Alambari. Daka Braca will be playing Hillside Festival this Friday night. Yes, it's Hillside Weekend and it's back live. <laughs> and uh, I should just mention that if you happen to be a newly arrived Ukrainian to uh, Guelph and actually anywhere, you can go to Hillside for free on Friday night. I believe that offer still stands. Hillside.ca for more information. Anyway, that song was called Vinaya Ya, which I think means it's like the equivalent of beer me, but for wine. Wine me. Let's get some wine. You're going to need some wine at Hillside on Friday night. But uh, I'd say... They'll, they'll, they'll give you a reasonable cup. Yeah. I'd uh, say wear your mask if you can, even though it's outside, but... Yeah, uh, that's yeah, if just you're, one broadcaster's opinion. If you're in the big crowd in front of the major stage, I think it would not go amiss. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Hillside is a Guelph institution. Um, some might say that Cam Guthrie is a Guelph institution. Um, he may agree. Um, but he is the mayor of Guelph. And uh, so we had an interview with him. Uh, the last meeting of city council before summer vacation was this past Monday. So it seemed like a good time to have Cam on the show. Much of this conversation does focus on the housing issue and issues around uh, the homeless and people with mental health problems downtown. Uh, I will I will submit a disclaimer here at the beginning. Uh, Cam uh, has some 
fairly uh, critical words for uh, as uh, speaking as the chair of Ontario Big City Mayors for the Ontario government. Um, he did relay to me after we recorded this interview Tuesday morning that he had heard back from um, the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing's office that uh, they are working on a meeting with the Ontario Big City Mayors about um, all of these issues. They're going to have that special meeting at some point in the near future. So if uh, if you, when, when you do hear Cam go to town on Minister Clark, just be aware Minister Clark has heard and uh, is responding. So, um, yeah, so the system is working uh, as well as it can. Anyway, uh, we will throw it to Mayor Guthrie starting right now. All right, Mayor Cam Guthrie, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Adam. Why don't we just start with a quick overview? How would how do you feel about the past, uh, I guess, seven months or so at council? How do you feel that the this term is sort of shaped up for, for you and uh, the rest of the horseshoe? Yeah, you know, I feel like, you know, the last, well, I would almost have to divide it into two, I think, because if I go back sort of seven months at the beginning of this year was still the thick of COVID and the Omicron variant, I think it was at that time. So, um, you know, that was frustrating. It felt long a little bit in that, in that, in that place, uh, especially in the winter, <laughs> gray kind of winter and COVID and you're indoors and still the issues that are happening with public health at that point. And then I would say probably, you know, after a few months of that, the latter half of the seven months here has been, has been good. You know, I think there's some excitement in the air that we're starting to come out of uh, at least that sort of lockdown, real harsh public health um, requirements from COVID. And, you know, it's nice to see people out and about in the, in the good weather, ribbon cuttings are happening. And uh, there's, you know, really good, just good work happening, not only from council, but from uh, the community as well. So uh, I feel, I feel like this last seven months is, has been, good and hopefully it'll continue that way all right let's get into the issues then um looking at what occupied a lot of the time on council this week which was issues of homelessness and mental health and addictions one of the things i think i'm hearing and maybe you can contradict me or confirm my my uh, analysis here is that we're hearing about the city's doing everything it possibly can you talked to Warden Linton at Wellington County saying, well, Wellington County's holding its end. We're delivering all the provincially mandated kind of emphasis on that services we have to do. Um, our nonprofits and charitable organizations are, are kind of stretched the limit. So, I mean, essentially, everybody's kind of doing everything they can possibly do. And maybe this gets into some of the outside the box thinking you were talking about. But like, have we kind of reached a limit of what our system is capable of? And are we at the point now where we have to sort of rethink the system? Oh, I, I will not contradict that last uh, that last line. The the system is broken. The system is absolutely broken. It is failing uh, people, and uh, and it's the whole system, and it needs to be fixed. And really, you know, uh, finger pointing uh, is not where you end a conversation but finger pointing can sometimes help with identifying what the situation is to be able to try to make change. And I will just tell you and everyone else listening straight up, uh, it is a provincial responsibility to lead and try to fix the system. Uh, 
you have as the, uh, the, the players you just identified, whether they're charities or nonprofits or other stakeholders or agencies doing good, good work. You have the municipal government doing everything it possibly can and the county. Uh, but the system's broken. The system's completely broken. It's, it has to change. And it's, a, it's not the Guelph mayor or the other ones I just identified trying to say that there's a problem. It's absolutely everybody that's saying that there's a problem. Everybody. And so they, the, 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 the province needs to convene something to actually get this, this fixed. And it's going to need a whole system change completely uh, because if all we keep doing is finger pointing, then people fall through the cracks and, and it's, it's not right. Mm -hmm. So we, I, I think, I, I think there's, uh, I guess where I'm upset with finger pointing though, is where, as I said, maybe just earlier, let's try to restate it is that it's like, it, instead of finger pointing, it's like saying, well, it's not my department. And then the conversation ends. Well, could we talk about it? Could we think about another idea? Could we propose another solution? Could we partner together on something? Could we think outside the box? So I think that's where maybe some friction happens. But in that arena of friction is where ideas can come to life and can be implemented to help the very people that we're trying to help. Mm -hmm. So, um, in the meantime, we can't just finger point to the province and say, well, it's not my department. We have to pull together and try to figure some uh, really unique ideas to try to help, which we've been doing. I don't want to let the province off the hook and I'll get back to them in a second. But um, in, in the area of sort of trying to coordinate things, and this is another th something I've been thinking about, too, is um, and I, I believe it was mentioned at Monday's meeting. Uh, the city of Guelph doesn't have a social services department. Yeah. And I mean, appreciating that, you know, Wellington County is handling, again, very specific things, childcare, Ontario works, yeah. housing. But there was a mention about how, I guess, a need of coordination. And I believe Scott Stewart said this at committee a couple of weeks ago, when the county calls about these issues, it's whoever kind of picks up the phone first. And that makes me think, you know, is it maybe time the city has a social services person, like maybe not a whole department, but like, like, like I, I guess a social services kind of point person is, is, is that like maybe um, a way to start doing some of this coordination you're talking about? So um, I'm going to be uh, blunt with my answer and straight to the point. And I, 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 that, cause that's kind of how I roll uh, most of the time. We, need to have a very serious conversation about the governance of how social services are done within Wellington County and specifically in the city of Guelph. Back in the 90s, I believe it was, uh, when social services as the approved consolidated social services provider from the province identifying the county as that uh, point department, point person, um, it doesn't hold anymore for me. And uh, we need to have a, a, an honest conversation about how the governance may need to change. And I believe that we need to um, look at how a different model 
can uh, actually uh, help with that. But it's right now under legislation from the province. And so that would take, that would take an actual change uh, or an, of allowing the change to happen from the provincial government. I believe that there are enough issues, especially on the housing and homelessness side of things, that it warrants at a minimum something happening within City Hall here. But it's important that that person would be more of a conduit, mm -hmm. not a decision maker with authority because we don't legally have the decision making authority. And that's where the governance is broken. And so uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm to a point now where I'm very determined to try to make it work where we can get governance change because uh, it's, it's, it, it's clearly broken. No, I, you know, there was a delegate that came uh, last night to the council meeting. And I think it was Councillor Downer, I think, asked the delegate, like, um, you know, like we we don't handle uh, social services. And and so what, what, what do you think? And the delegate understood that and acknowledged it, but then said, but frankly, as a citizen of Guelph, I just don't care. Yeah, I don't care anymore. It needs to be fixed. These homelessness, addictions, mental health, issues, especially on the homelessness side, they need to be fixed. And I think uh, that's a, a pretty a pretty accurate description of many people in this city that says, I, I'm, I, I don't care if it's not your department. I don't care about the finger pointing. I don't care about governance issues. Those all may be very, very true, but really, could we just fix it? And mm -hmm. I think that's where a serious conversation has to happen on, on, on the governance. We are a growing city with these growing issues. And to not, what happens on our end is that we see sort of the levers that we might be able to pull to help with the situation, but we're not allowed to touch them. We can ask about them, but we can't really change them. Right. Because the governance is set up that that's the way the rules are. And in the meantime, people are falling through the cracks because of those rules. And I, it's, it's, it's not right. But we have more wiggle room than we think, don't we? I mean, when it comes to something like welcoming streets, mm -hmm. um, and this came up at committee, that that was an idea that went to the county social services committee first. And they were like, well, that's kind of a Guelph thing. Um, not a like a provincially mandated service. And I mean, to your credit and to the credit of council, that is something that's been funded for the last several years. Yeah. Same with the court support worker and, yeah. uh, you know, a couple of different initiatives. So isn't it you know feasible that, you know, when we come to the budget in January, you know, there's a new FTE that's uh, yeah. social services coordinator, just, you know, to pick a job title out of the air, someone who, if, you know, the county wants to call someone at city hall, they have that business card or that contact information, or if it's Chalmers looking for yeah. coordination, like that, that's something that could happen without. Oh yeah. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, you know, speaking of the welcoming streets uh, initiative, it's been, uh, you know, it's been funded one time year over year or, right. or the court support worker right. uh, one time year over year over year, because before COVID happened, we were under the impression that we could look to get full funding in perpetuity from the province. Why? Because it's healthcare. Right. Because it's healthcare. It's their responsibility. But they have not stepped up. Uh, so, you know, absolutely, I'm looking to make sure that that's permanent in the upcoming uh, budgets, uh, because clearly it's something that is not being done by the province. Uh, but we have to step into many municipalities, by the way, not just us, have to step into this space where the responsibility of the province has not come uh, come to the uh, come to the table, 
And so we can't just be like, oh, well, it's their department. So sorry, we don't, you don't get welcoming streets uh, or right. support worker help. Uh, no, we also have uh, a responsibility as well as best we can to, yeah, maybe color outside the lines a little bit because we know that we're, we're, it's, a, it's a benefit to the population we're trying to help. And that population, by the way, is both the people that are experiencing homelessness or mental health or addictions, but also the business uh, population as well. And especially in our downtown core, where many of these problems are, are occurring, right? So I think there's an economic development, a tourism lens on why welcoming streets, as an example, is something that, um, that is a, a benefit outside of that portion of healthcare, where a municipality should step into that space, which is what we've done in Guelph for four years. And it's great. Mm-hmm. Well, we've been passing the buck for a couple of minutes now, so I do want to bring the province into this. I don't know where Doug Ford is today, but it's not meeting with Ontario's big city mayors, which I know is something you've called for us to chair. Yeah, That group represents 70% of the population of Ontario. Yeah, What are they waiting for? Yeah, I am, uh, I am disappointed that that meeting has not occurred yet. Uh, and uh, I think you know you and others might have heard me say that there is now this very strong coalition that has rallied around the position of the Ontario big city mayors, including the chiefs of police, chamber of commerce of Ontario, Ontario mental health association, Ontario BIA association. Like, like it is so urgent that people outside of sort of the political realm are saying, can we help? Can we help? Can we help? And so I, I will say uh, that I'm hopeful there the, the Association of Municipalities of Ontario conference is coming up in August. Uh, so you can uh, bet that I'll be uh, either delegating or waiting in the hallways uh, to meet with uh, any of the ministers that go by that would be looking at these, uh, these issues. I want to move on to, to touch on, on, on growth. But before, before I do that, I just want to talk about you know, when you go downtown, you are downtown, you're downtown right now, you're in your office. Um, I, I just had coffee in St. George's Square for the last hour before I started with you. Well, there you go. So, you know, when you're downtown, you know, what do you see? What do you feel? You know what? Uh, it's, um, it's sad, actually. Um, I've started to, over the last little while, you know, actually get to know some of the people that uh, we see downtown by name striking up conversations with them. And by the way, I don't say I'm the mayor. Mm. <laughs> I, 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 I just talk with them and uh, it is uh, it's, it's sad. There's, I think where, where uh, I've started to hear some of the stories of some of the individuals that are there, which people often do not know or even care to know. You know, when I find out that, a, a gentleman I was talking to, his brother died of an overdose. His parents are 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 dead. Mm. Um, his only living per- person and a relative is out west somewhere. Mm. Um, the early childhood trauma that these individuals have had, uh, many of them, no no one wants to hear those stories, and uh, and it, you walk away um, almost a righteous anger, if I could say it that way, a righteous anger that we know that there's solutions and it's not happening and a righteous anger with people that uh, dismiss these people outright. It actually really, really bothers me. And, um, and so I, I see it 
I addiction is awful. It plays out in your in front of you. You don't expect it. It's not right. But that is the addiction. Mm. And, uh, and so are there real, like safety concerns? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Is it the right sort of um, atmosphere that we would want in, in, in our city or any city that's experiencing this right now? No, we want everyone housed. We want everyone not to be addicted to, to, to drugs uh, or, or we want no one to have mental health uh, issues. But welcome to the human race, folks. <laughs> these, these issues are going to be there. And, uh, you know, I just uh, I, I, I care and, and people care about these individuals, uh, but it is a, it is a tough go. It's a very tough go. And I. Um, we're all we're all really trying and uh, people just uh, have to love people uh, way more. And uh, they just they just we just got to love people more and, and see people where they're at and see how um, important those those citizens are to our city. Uh, and I, I hope that that narrative can maybe have been changed a little bit over this term where we've been really talking about this for for four years. Uh, you know, like I. I get um, going on this. I'm sorry. I'm talking so long on it, but no, it's all right. you know, I, I uh, like, you know, four years, I, <laughs> I stood in front of the city and, uh, and said, I failed as a mayor when it came to the homelessness issues. And I took that seriously. And that's all I've been trying to help. Well, obviously there's other issues I'm working on, but this right. is one I've been trying to work on for four years. And I think as a community, we've come along on that narrative as best as we can, but we got to keep the pressure on so that we can help people like those that are experiencing these issues in our downtown. Um, so yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough go, uh, but we still have a beautiful, beautiful downtown. You know, it is, I was sitting down there for an hour, as I said, it's, it's beautiful. Everything was fine. Everything was absolutely fine. Uh, but uh, there's situations that need uh, to be addressed. I have to make an inelegant segue because we are running out of time, but it's all right to look at the other side of it. Um, You know, if we're talking about anger coming to city council, we've kind of seen a lot of that uh, in the last couple of weeks with uh, particularly around issues of growth. People are very concerned, especially in uh, along Gordon street, South of of, uh, stone, that there's a lot of growth going on. Uh, It's tough to, say that we're going to stop that it's you know we we still have to make room for another 50 60,000 more citizens yeah. in the next 28 years so i mean I, I guess how this may be a bigger question than we have time for but i mean just in terms of like managing those expectations um we we can't stop the growth i mean we can but that would be a tricky prospect so i mean how yeah. how do we kind of get people acclimated i guess also how do we make people feel more involved because i think people feel like there's something getting mm-hmm. away from them yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned it, that last little part there because I was kind of contemplating the answer before you got to that last part. And I, I think I'll start with, I was going to say the word communication. That's the word I was going to say. I think we could probably do a better job at communicating the provincial pressures of growth and how that will play out. Um, the formalities of government um, and how we engage and, com- and communicate um, sometimes I feel aren't sometimes aligned with the reality on the ground on how people get their information, process that information and understand it. 
And I think there's a, a, a disconnect a little bit there about what's actually happening. And so uh, when, you know, when we get these surprise delegates, it's like, what do you mean these you know, four homes are being torn down and there's a six story building? It no longer can we say, but we had a diagram in a report right. five years ago that showed you that, right? So um, I, I really think that there is a responsibility on our end to be better at communicating these changes. Uh, and then equally to that, there needs to be a um, principled sort of firm position that we can no longer do it the same way you did when you bought your house 19 years ago or 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because um, we cannot have an entire city of detached homes. Mm -hmm. It's not going to fit number one. And number two, we're not going to meet the provincial mandates that have been imposed on us. Um, it's also uh, more expensive <laughs> for infrastructure for the existing taxpayers that are here and the services that would have to be provided. Those types of bullet points and those types of things need to be stated over and over and over again for people to start to understand it a bit more. And then uh, I would just say from a story perspective, I guess what I've been trying to do is I've said it a couple of times out loud. So here I'm saying it again is not as the mayor, but as a dad, I've got a 19 and an 18 year old at home. I, are you, are, is anyone here not concerned about that next generation? Like right. what, what, like where are they going to live? Like literally where are they going to live? How are they going to come up with a 150 or $200,000 down payment on a condo, let alone a detached home? It, it, this is the, the, the shift that we need to start not looking at ourselves, but looking to the next generation, almost like the homelessness situation. It's not all about me, me, me. It's about what's happening. In we have to have that shift to care for those people. We have to have a shift in our planning and, and growth issue discussions about the next generations that are coming. And so that's why we got to be principal on some of these things to say, I'm sorry, but we have to do this. And does that mean we just let any every, anything nilly willy go? No. Urban design, is that important? Absolutely. It has to fit. But the we this is this is where the city has got to go. And uh, and it, it is the right thing to do, uh, not just for now, but for the next generation for housing. Well, uh, lots of consequential stuff ahead. You almost think it's an election year. So we will <laughs> leave it. We will leave it there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you know uh cam uh, i thank you for your time and uh i'll just uh I'll, I'll leave you with the ancient curse have a good summer and uh okay. we, will, we will see you on the election trail in the fall <laughs> yeah for sure thanks adam for all you do uh, covering council and everything too so i appreciate it all right and once again that was mayor cam guthrie uh you will hear from him again once we get into election coverage in the fall whether or not he has a competitor is a Question we joke about off air all the time. That's right. <laughs> it's the Guthrie. Let's see what happens right now. <laughs> it's yeah. <laughs> I, 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 it's too bad we can't like really do joke candidates because I would like I'd fill out like nomination papers for Predator so we get Predator versus Guthrie on the ballot this fall oh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, Predator would do quite well in certain writings. I think. Well, you Words, have to. I mean. You, you probably have to admire his dedication to the natural heritage uh, systems because, uh, I mean, those are the best hunting grounds. But uh, mm. that might be a debate for end credits uh, <laughs> next Wednesday. 
we'll wrap it up there. And uh, if you like the show, uh, you can certainly listen to it again. You can find it on our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can stay connected to us on our website, opensourcesguelph.com. You can find us on Facebook as well at Open Sources Newswire and on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and just to quickly correct myself from earlier, hillsidefestival.ca if you're inquiring about tickets, whether you're just looking for tickets or a uh, uh, Ukrainian new to Canada, as I mentioned earlier. Um, Good. Yeah. Where does hillside.ca take you? I'm going to probably a church. My guess is a church. (laughs) We're going to find out after uh, we wrap up the show here. You can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another great edition of Open Sources. And we'll see you then.